0: Numbers chapter number 10, and I'd like to begin reading in verse number 29. The Word of God says, And Moses said unto Hobab, the son of Raguel, the Midianite, Moses' father-in-law, We are journeying unto the place of which the Lord said, I will give it you. Come thou with us, and we will do thee good. For the Lord hath spoken good concerning Israel. And he said unto him, I will not go, but I will depart to mine own land and to my kindred. And he said, Leave us not, I pray thee, for as much as thou knowest how we are to encamp in the wilderness, and thou mayest be to us instead of eyes. And it shall be, if thou go with us, yea, it shall be, that what goodness the Lord shall do unto us, the same will we do unto thee. Let's look back at verse 29. The Bible says, And Moses said unto Hobab, the son of Raguel, the Midianite, Moses' father-in-law, We are journeying unto the place of which the Lord said, I will give it you. Come thou with us, and we will do thee good, for the Lord hath spoken good concerning Israel. Father, we thank you for the time that you've given us. We pray, Lord, that your power would be upon the preaching and upon the service and upon the listening. Lord, we pray that You might open hearts in a way that we are not capable of doing, that You might apply Your Word in a way that uh, is beyond what our ability might be. Father, we're just asking You to perform it this morning. Lord, we're not claiming or presuming that we have the capacity or ability, but we're trusting in You this morning to do what must be accomplished in our hearts and lives. Lord, we love You. We thank You for loving us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as we study this portion of Scripture, let me begin, before we even get into the preaching of it, by addressing something that I found a lot of folks seem to be arguing about. Something you'll find when you get to studying real good commentaries is they rarely ever agree. Amen? And uh, the the reason for that is because they're written by men. Amen? This Bible's written by God. And so it always agrees with itself. Amen? Amen? As you read that verse 29, the commentators would argue about who this fellow by the name of Hobab is. And uh, I'll tell you right now, I know exactly who he is. There's no uh, wonder to me about it. I I can say with absolute authority who Hobab is. Hobab, the son of Reguel, the Midianite, Moses' father-in-law. Amen? Because that's what your Bible says. But depending on how you read that passage, you might get the understanding that Hobab is the son of Raguel, and that Hobab is the Midianite, Moses' father-in-law. Other folks uh, might get the idea that Hobab is the son of Raguel, and Raguel is the Midianite, Moses' father-in-law. As we study the Word of God, some might wonder, well, preacher, isn't Jethro? Uh, Moses' father-in-law. And that's very true. The Bible does all through the book of Exodus, uh, name Moses' father-in-law as Jethro. But the book of Numbers, in other places, calls him Ruel. I'll tell you what I believe this morning. You can take it for what you think it's worth. I believe that Hobab is the son of Raguel. I believe Raguel is the Midianite, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law. That would make Hobab the brother-in-law of Moses. Now here's what I'm interested in this morning. Here's this man by the name of Hobab. This is a man who is a Midianite. This is a man that is outside of the blessedness and favor of God. This is a man to whom the law would normally mean nothing. And this is a man to whom faith would normally mean nothing. He's been raised in religion but he doesn't know anything really about a relationship with God. And then here comes along Moses. Now, Moses is a friend of God. He has seen God face to face, as it were. Moses is a man that knows God in a personal way. By the time we get to this point in Scripture, Moses has already been on the mountain with God. Moses has already been hid in the cleft of the rock. Uh, Moses has already been covered by the hand of God. Moses has already seen the backside of the uh, Almighty God of glory passed by. Moses is a man that has come off the mount with the glory of God shining on his face. And I sort of believe probably that even in this moment, as Moses speaks to him, uh, he probably has a little bit of that glory still shining off of his face. And Moses is a man that can speak with authority to this man and say, come thou with us. God has a plan for you. Can I just exhort you for a moment before we even get into the preaching to say this, that if we're going to be a proper witness for the Lord Jesus Christ, we ought to have some of those same attributes, don't you believe so? Uh, Listen, the first thing, if you're going to be a witness, if you're going to reach your lost family members and loved ones and neighbors and co-workers and total strangers, you've got to have a personal first-hand experience of who God is. Uh, Listen, nobody care about what you heard about God. People want to know what you know about God. Uh, We need to have spent some time just like Moses did. We don't just need to know him personally, but we need to know the Scriptures. Don't you believe Moses of any man living at that time, he knew the Scriptures? Uh, We call them the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. But really, we should call these or could call these the books of Moses, because Moses penned them down. Uh, Moses was the man to whom God had spoke directly uh, upon Mount Sinai. Moses is a man that is intimately acquainted with the truth of God's Word. Let me say, if we're going to be a proper witness, we need to best of our ability to be acquainted with this book now listen you don't have to be a bible scholar to win somebody to jesus christ i know that and i'm glad for that because you're looking at a lot of things this morning but you ain't looking at a bible scholar somebody say amen to that but i do believe this that what carries authority and weight with a lost and dying world is not our opinion uh, you know oh, let's you say you saying opinions the cheapest thing in the world because everybody's got one Nobody's interested in your opinion. I don't mean that in a rude way or an unkind way. I could say it about me too, but I'm just telling you, nobody's interested in your opinion. You'd be amazed if we'd spend the same time witnessing the lost folks that we spend arguing on Facebook, we'd turn this world upside down. I'm just simply saying that what people need is not your opinion and my opinion. They need the authoritative truth of the Word of God. So we ought to try to know the Scripture as best we can. I believe that also we need to. it needs to be evident to folks around us that we've been spending time with God. Hey, this isn't even in my notes. I didn't even plan on preaching it. But let me say this. We'd go a long ways if people could see the glory of God shining on our faces when we came to witness to Him. You say, preacher, what would that look like? Well, I know what it probably looked like for Moses. It probably looked like glowing light coming off his face. The Bible says that he wore a veil upon his face and that the children of Israel weren't allowed to look past that veil. Of course, there's some dispensational symbolism there as well, but I I believe that for you and I, what it means is a joyful countenance and a sweet spirit. Uh, There's a lot of folks, they can win people to Christ, but they can't get out of their own way to do it. Uh, Listen, I'll tell you who the worst culprit is uh, as far as keeping me from being a better witness. It's this fellow that looks right back in the mirror every day. And if I can get my old flesh under subjection, and if I can allow the glory of God to shine through the joy of the Lord, Nahum said, is my strength, amen? Or Nehemiah said, it's my strength. If I can just allow myself to be the kind of Christian God wants me to be, then that will go a long ways to being a testimony to this lost and dying world. You know, uh, here's this man, Hobab. And I believe he had three things that bore a witness in his life, just by way of introduction. Three things that showed the reality of God. Let me say, number one, his family showed the reality of God. And I mean specifically by that Moses. Uh, God had put Moses in a lot of people's lives for a lot of different reasons, but for Hobab, I believe that He had put Moses in his life for this very purpose, that He might extend this offer to him. Uh, Listen, I believe we ought to be a help to people. I believe we ought to try to encourage people. But our chief and main uh, influence that we ought to have in a person's life ought to be for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, There's a lot of social gospel in this day that we live in. We're talking about it in Sunday school. We've been teaching through Romans chapter 1. And Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation of the Jew first and also to the Greek. And we were noting that the gospel is not an abstract thing. The gospel is not a theoretical or an ethereal thing. The gospel is a specific, distinct thing. And that gospel, Paul gives it in 1 Corinthians 15, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. i tell you what this world needs. Now listen, if you want to go buy folks shoes, God bless you. I'm not against folks having shoes. Buy me a pair. Somebody say amen to that. Oxford if you can while you're at it. I'm not against it, all right? I'm not against feeding a man a sandwich. I mean, listen, if there's anybody that doesn't have a right to turn their nose up at feeding people, it's Walridge Baptist Church. But I'm saying this. You can do all that and people can go to... Listen, they can split hell wide open with good shoes and full bellies. I'm not against it. I'm just merely saying, now, if that becomes a vehicle for the presentation of the gospel, I'm for it. But if all we're doing is a social gospel and not a saving gospel, then we've missed the boat. We've missed the boat. And God had placed Moses in Hobab's life for this distinct moment. And God has placed that. I don't believe in coincidences. And I don't believe in luck. I believe in divine appointments. God places us within the pathway of people that we might shine the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ into the dark corners of their heart that we might share with them what God can do for them. I think his family, or by extension we might say Moses, was a witness in his life. I think also, let me say, that his father evidently was a witness. Now, it's interesting when you begin to study his father's names. Again, we already mentioned he goes kind of by two names. Jethro is one. Did you ever know Jethro was a Bible name? You never knew when you was growing up watching Beverly Hillbillies that was a Bible name. Amen? You didn't know Rhoda was one either. Somebody say amen to that. I'm not going to start talking about Rhoda on Sunday morning in church. Amen? But whenever you read that, you probably never knew that was a Bible name. That was the name that he typically went by. But he also had this name Raguel or Raul. And it's interesting when you study the meanings of those names, because the first time in the Word of God that we meet Jethro, he is Jethro. And that name Jethro means his excellence. He is a priest of Midian. Now, I'm not going to try to intrude in on places where the Bible does not speak, but let me just simply say this, that when you study the history of the Midianites and the Word of God, they are not a God-fearing people. And I would probably suggest this, that Jethro, if he was a priest of Midian, though he may have been monotheistic, he probably did not have a real understanding of who the real God of Israel was. And so when he walks around, the title he goes by is His Excellence. He wants everybody to know what a big man he is. He wants everybody to know how important he is, how prominent he is. Uh, Listen, he's got all these daughters, he's got all this cattle, he's got all this wealth, he's got all this influence, and that's who and what his life is. But now by the time you come over into the book of Numbers... You'll find that he begins to go by the name of Ruel. Ruel means this, it means friend of God. Evidently something had changed at some point in his life. You'll, you can even look, and I, I don't take the time now, but, but jot it down, take time later to look back in Exodus chapter 18, and you'll find that there came a point when he began to hear about all that God had done in the lives of the children of Israel, that he even said this, now I know that the Lord, He is the one true God. In other words, no doubt his testimony would have had an effect. On his family. I believe it takes the truth of the Word of God for a person to be saved, don't you? But I don't believe we need to discount personal testimony either. Uh, there's a lot of folks that they spend a lot of time trying to memorize the Romans road. And I'm for it. I'm for it. We ought to memorize Scripture. I just fussed at you to memorize Scripture, didn't I? We ought to memorize Scripture. But don't forget your own road either. Don't forget, listen, the Romans road is good and that's important. Uh, but while you're giving the Romans road, don't be ashamed to give the Damascus road either and tell about what God has done in your life personally. No doubt, His influence, His testimony had a profound effect. But then you know, I think this is interesting. I don't think his daddy ever planned this out. But when you begin to look at what the name Hobab means, did you know that it means precious? Doesn't precious sound better than Hobab? Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad we don't go, oh, your baby is so Hobab. Amen. That is the most Hobab little baby I've ever seen in my entire life. Look at his hobab little eyes, amen? (laughs) But (laughs) it is interesting to note that every time his name was called, he was reminded that he was precious to someone. (laughs) I would say this, while I do not believe in an inner guiding light, I do not believe man is inherently good. I believe that in my flesh dwelleth no good thing, Amen. amen? I do recognize this, that God has placed within humanity a conscience. And that conscience is one of the ways that God bears witness to His existence and reality and interest in the hearts of mankind. You don't believe me? Read Romans chapter number 1. Even those that are without the law, their conscience is a law unto themselves. And don't you know that every time that Hobab's name was mentioned, it just pricked in his mind that somebody cared about him. You see, the reality is this. God's working in the lives of your loved ones even when you don't see or realize God's working in the lives of your loved ones. And so Moses turns, and I want us to notice four things this morning by way of preaching, and then we'll close. I want you to look at verse number 29 and consider with me the word of invitation that Moses gives. He says in verse number 29, And Moses said unto Hobab, the son of Raguel, the Midianite, Moses' father-in-law, We are journeying unto the place of which the Lord said, I will give it you. Come thou with us and we will do thee good. For the Lord hath spoken good concerning Israel. Let me say this morning that while that is not the gospel, that is not the gospel. Am I right? It's okay. We, we, you can get out of Amen mode and get into listening mode for just a second. Amen? Well, that's not the gospel. I believe there is a spirit of the gospel within it, Brother Charlie. It does carry with it, I believe, some of the realities of the gospel. For instance, I want you to notice first off the proof of this statement. What does he say? He says, We are journeying unto the place which the Lord hath promised us. We are going to the place. In other words, he does not necessarily ask Hobab to believe in something for which he cannot gain any evidence or testimony. But he says this, God has done something in our life. God has promised us. We used to be in bondage in Egypt's land. We used to be under the oppressive thumb of a pagan people. But God, with His high and holy hand, sent Moses to come down to Egypt to show unto us a way out of Egypt's darkness by the shed blood of the Lamb. And He has delivered... Delivered us out of that land of darkness. He's carried us through the Red Sea. He's walked with us. He's kept us safe. And He's brought us under this sunny eye. God has worked in our life. Let me say that the beginning point of testimony for every believer ought to be, this is what God has done for me. So oftentimes we shy away from that. And I think because it's so deeply personal. And sometimes I think there is a temptation to believe maybe it won't ring true or relevant to someone else's life. But I found this to be true. A person may argue with your theology. They may argue with your methods, but they can't argue with your testimony. Uh, it, it, It all begins with this reality that God can do for them what He did for me. I mean, listen, here we're in, I don't know exactly how many people, I've heard estimates of upward of over two million people. Here are two million people that can tell you God's able to deliver. And let me say, if you're here under the sound of my voice, and you don't know what this is all about, and you came, somebody invited you, or, or whatever it might be, and you're here, and you don't know the reality of what I'm saying, can I say, here's a room full of people that can say, we are journeying under the place. God has delivered me. Listen, every person in this room has started from a different situation, but from the identical same condition. Uh, Your uh, situation may have been different than my situation, but our condition was all the same. We were all sinners in need of Jesus Christ. And Christ wretched down. Listen, I realize we wretched to Him, but before we ever wretched to Him, He wretched to us. If He hadn't reached us, He would have been far out of sight. That's how far and high and holy He is above our miry, wicked situation. And He reached down. And we saw that outstretched arm that the book of Proverbs speaks about. And we wretched up and grabbed hold. We trusted in Him by faith, not through works, not through ability, not through religion, not through sacraments, but through and only by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. We placed our faith in Him and He lifted us out. He speaks and mentions the proof of it. Look at verse number 29, the next phrase. Look at the proposal of it. What's he asking him to do? He says, We are journeying unto the place of which the Lord said, I will give it you. Come thou with us, and we will do thee good. You know what he's asking? Now, we all understand that this journey would be a long and arduous journey, but you understand Hobab didn't know that. And all that Moses is asking Hobab to do is he's saying this, Hobab, you're headed one direction. I want you to turn and I want you to come our direction. He's not asking him. Now, later on, he tells him he's got a job for him to do. But that's not part of the initial proposal. You see, all he asks him to do is to turn from one direction and to go in another direction. You know, that's the beautiful simplicity of the gospel. The gospel is this, to repent of your sins and to believe on the finished work of Christ on Calvary. You say, but preacher, don't I have to join a church? No, joining a church won't get you saved. It won't help you get saved. It won't make you more saved. In fact, for a lot of folks, it makes them look like they're less saved. Somebody say amen to that. It's not about church membership. It's not about baptism. It's not about any of these things. But it is about repentance and faith. I believe in repentance. Now, to some of you all, that don't mean nothing. But to some of you all, you know what I'm saying, because there's a lot of folks that don't believe in repentance. Now, I don't believe repentance is a work. I believe repentance is an attitude of the heart. Amen? But I believe every genuine attitude of the heart does produce an action. Just as faith is not works, but faith, true faith, does work. Amen? And repentance is the same way. Repentance is not the drunkard going out and throwing away his his liquor bottles. Uh, Repentance is not the dope addict uh, flushing his pills. Repentance is not uh, the uh, promiscuous person determining they're going to be pure. Uh, Repentance is the attitude of the heart that says, "...this isn't working." And I need to turn away to Him who will save me. Literally means a 180 degree change of the mind and of the attitude. And you know what he's saying. He doesn't ask him to carry a, a, a load of wood. He doesn't ask him to hitch himself up to a, to a cart and pull it. He doesn't ask him even to take a, a sword or a shield in his hand and help defend. He just says, hold up, you're going this way. Now turn and go this way. Hold up, you're headed in the wrong direction. And if you'll believe what we're telling you, then you'll turn and you'll go with us. We see the proposal of it, but what's the premise of it? Look at the very last phrase here. It says, For the Lord hath spoken good concerning Israel. The premise was not the promise of Moses. It was not the promise of the two plus million people that were walking there. The premise of this decision was the Lord hath spoken. You see, this reminds me of the presentation of the gospel because a true and genuine presentation of the gospel will be based on the authority of scripture. It includes their testimony, doesn't it? It says, we're journeying to this place. But he does not simply ask him to take their word for it. He says, listen, this is what God has said about the matter. Paul says it this way in Romans chapter 10, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. One of the things we always try to say when a person is, uh expressed their need of salvation is come down to this altar, we'll have somebody take a Bible and show you what God says about being saved. My word, though it may contribute in the sense of, of, of showing and proving to you the reality and validity of the gospel, my word has no ability to save you. The word of no one in this room has the ability to save you. We're born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the Word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Only through Scripture can we come to this reality. Only through the Word of God can we be born again. And so that is the premise for what Moses is offering him. Not, I'm going to do good to you, Hobab, but the Lord's going to do good to you. Not, I promise He will, but God has promised He will. And so, Hobab, you don't have to trust me. You have to place your trust in God. No telling how many people have been wrecked by putting their trust in a preacher, in a church, in a denomination, in whatever. I mean, you just mark it right down the line. It always, man always disappoints. But God never disappoints. We find the invitation in verse number 29. Look at verse number 30. We see a word of protestation. Hobab, you'd think he would have uh, said, well, this sounds good. Let's get to it. But that's not what he says. In verse 30, and he said unto him, I will not go, but I will depart to mine own land and to my kindred. Let me say the first thing that we see is his response. He says, I will not go. Now, you say, preacher, what do you have to say about that? I have to say that it's heartbreaking, but it's a reality for a lot of people. A lot of people, when they hear the gospel, they should be saved. They can be saved. Christ died for all men. He tasted death for every man. There's not a person in this world that is beyond the reach of the cross of Calvary. If they'll only look unto Him, they can be saved. But the reality is a lot of people do turn and walk away. See, the truth is this. I can't decide where you spend eternity. The people around you can't decide where you spend eternity. Only you can decide. We see his response. Notice his route that he's going to take. Verse number 30, look at the next phrase. He says, I will depart to mine own land. (laughs) You know what the sad reality was? He didn't have no better place to go than just back home. Can I say this? If you're under the sound of my voice and lost and undone, that the best the devil can afford you is nothing compared to even the worst day you'll have as a child of God. (laughs) (laughs) They were going to a place of milk and honey. They were going to a place where the, the, uh, the, uh, grass and the, and the herbs and the gardens would be watered, uh, by the rain from heaven. Uh, where they wouldn't have to work and toil and labor. They were going to a place of promise. And all Hobad had to go back to was just home. But the reality is this, a lot of people have died and went to hell for a lot less. Can I say that if you're here lost without Christ, God has greater and better things for you than what you have for you than what your home has for you. God seeks to lift you out. I believe in a Savior that changes people. (laughs) He's not much of a Savior if He can't change people. I believe in a Savior that changes people. And listen, what the devil's been giving you, if it was enough, you wouldn't be here in God's house on a Sunday morning. If what you gave yourself in the way of peace, when you pillow your head at night and try to find sleep in those still moments, if that was enough, you wouldn't be here this morning. You came here this morning. If you don't know Christ, you came here because you know you're looking for something. And let me say that what you have back at home, that's no reason. But really, I think there was a greater reason. Look what he says. He says, I will depart. I will go to my own land. And then notice the last phrase. He says, and to my kindred. I think at the end of the day, that was really what his reason was. His real reason was this. He still had his heart tethered to some folks. And he was willing. I want you to listen. In as much as it relates to the reality of the sinner and rejecting the gospel, we could say this. He loved those folks so much he was going to die and go to hell because of them. I'll tell you something this morning. There's no one in this world. And I I wish I could say like the Apostle Paul did. You know, the Apostle Paul said, I could wish myself a curse from Christ for my brethren, uh, Israel's sake. But the reality is this. If you're here lost without Christ this morning, there's no one in this world worth dying and going to hell over. But preacher, what will my kids say? It doesn't matter what your kids will say. Preacher, what will my spouse say? But preacher, what will my family say? But preacher, what will my co-workers say? At the end of the day, it's going to be you and you alone that stands before Almighty God. Your children aren't going to stand with you. Your spouse ain't going to stand with you. Your co-workers are going to stand with you. Your family's not going to stand with you. On that day, it'll be you and you alone. So don't let anything pull you away from the call of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We see a word of protestation. Look at verse number 31. I'm glad it doesn't end there we see a word of explanation. Notice what Moses says in verse number 31. And he said, Leave us not, I pray thee, forasmuch as thou knowest how we are to encamp in the wilderness, and thou mayest be to us instead of eyes." You know what Moses is doing here? He's explaining what the journey is going to be like for Hobart. Now, I hear people say all the time, Well, boy, I just wish I knew what was going to happen. No, you don't. If you had a crystal ball, let me tell you what I'd do. If I could see into the future, if I knew what was going to happen, I'd probably crawl up into bed and never want to get out again. We don't want to know everything that the future entails, but I do believe that it's important to know and understand what the life of a Christian entails. And notice there's a few things that he points out. Notice, number one, the persistence of this life. He says, leave us not. Now, aren't you glad this morning that when God saves us, He saves us eternally? And I would point this out. That Moses says to Hobab, he never says, uh, Hobab, what are you going to do if we leave you? Because that's not even on the table. He looks at Hobab and says, Hobab, you don't leave us. I want to be very careful. As we study types in the Bible, we need to be careful to never let a type define doctrine. Type displays doctrine, but it does not define doctrine. You might be studying in the Word of God and be studying these types and pictures, and you might say, well, preacher, what happens if I get to a place and don't make sense no more? Well, just leave it there and go read your New Testament, (laughs) amen? Uh, We don't need to let types define doctrine. But I would use it to draw out this reality and truth. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews, for as much as it is written, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Now, listen, if you're saved by God's grace today... Uh, You can't lose your salvation. You can't give your salvation away. You can't unsave yourself because you didn't have a thing to do with saving you in the first place. You are placed within the almighty, infinite, omnipotent, omniscient hand of God, and you can't pluck yourself out. But I would say this, that if we walk away from the life of a Christian, I'm talking about if we walk away from the will of God and the house of God and the Word of God, If we part ways with the Christian life, it'll be because we walked away from God, not because God walked away from us. It was up to Hobab to keep up with the group. (laughs) But if he'd stay with them, he could walk with them. There was a persistence to this life. I want you to notice that there was a pattern to this life. Notice what he says again in verse number 31. He says, for as much as thou knowest how we are to encamp in the wilderness. He tells him, Hobab, on this journey, there's going to be some nights of discomfort. On this journey, there's going to be some nights of perceived peril. There's going to be some nights we're sleeping under the stars. There's going to be nights that we can hear the beast of the land howling in the distance. There's going to be nights that we're going to have to trust God that the enemy is not going to fall on us and slay us. This is going to be a wilderness journey, Hobad. We have a totally backwards way of winning people to Jesus. I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but we go to someone and we tell them how awesome the Christian life's going to be and how they need to jump on board. But when Christ made disciples in the New Testament, He took the opposite approach. He'd come to them and He'd talk about the things that He was going to have to suffer, the things that He was going to have to experience. He would not talk about the ease of the Christian life. He'd talk about the difficulty of the Christian life. And he would say, listen, if you put your hand to the plow and look back, you're not worthy. Listen, if you're not willing to forsake father and mother and everything for the kingdom of God, you're not worthy. If you're not willing to hate your father and mother in comparison to your love for the Lord, you're not worthy. And he'd lay out all the difficult aspects of the Christian life. And I sort of believe there's a little bit of hint of this in what Moses is doing. He's saying we are going to be a wilderness people, Hobad. But let me also remind you of this, that... He's reminding Hobab that we are going to be a tent-dwelling people. Hobab, we're going to be sojourning in this wilderness, we're not going to be putting down foundations. We have a better place that God has called us to. And so as we pass through this wilderness, Hobab, don't don't set your affection on things below. Set them on the land we're going to. Hobab, as we're journeying, be be careful that you don't grow to fall in love with with the pathway and not the destination. And can I say this to you this morning, that we as believers, we need to actively engage ourselves in falling in love with heaven and out of love with this world. We don't need to be... Listen, we all live in this world. I recognize that, but we don't have to be of this world. In fact, Christ prayed for us. Now, if there's ever a prayer that ought to be answered, don't you think it would be one of (laughs) Christ's? And he prayed not that we'd be taken out of this world, but that we'd be kept from this world, that we'd not be of this world. And I believe God has called you and me as believers to be a tent-dwelling people, a sojourning people. Uh, listen, I, we bought a house a year and a half ago. I, I don't believe it's a sin to buy a house. I don't believe it's a sin to buy a car. If you don't want your car, give it to me. Amen. I, I don't. I don't believe it's a sin to. Do. I don't believe it's a sin to plan for the future. I don't believe it's a sin to have a retirement account. I don't believe any of those things are wrong. But I think within the context of those, we need to remind ourselves that at the end of the day, all that we accrue and accumulate is just going to burn up one of these days. God has called us to a greater and better place in land. We see the pattern of it. He reminds them of the difficulty of it. And he reminds them of the detachedness of it. But look at the end of verse number 31. He says this, and thou mayest be to us instead of eyes. That's very simple what he's saying. He's saying, hope, oh, have you know this land? We don't. We've spent over 400 years in Egypt. We've not journeyed this way. We do not know what the land entails. So he says, you're going to be eyes to us instead. But can I just draw out this point to you? He reminds Hobab that God has a plan for his life. He says, Hobab, there's a job that God has for you. And there is a place within this company that God has reserved just for you. Uh, God is uh, calling you along because He loves you, because He cares about you. But beyond just that, God also has a distinct design for your, your life and for your purpose. The experiences of Moab, or, uh, Moab, listen to me, the experiences of Hobab before this moment would inform the life and the role and position that God would use Him in later. People say, Preacher, God couldn't save me. My life's too big of a wreck. Yeah, He might want to save folks. that's lives are a bigger wreck and He needs you to tell Him that He can. (laughs) Uh, Preacher, I I don't know if God can save me. I mean, I can't be used of Him. Well, I don't know. He's got a track record of using farmers and, and shepherds and servants. Here's the reality. The only person that can stop God from being able to use you is you. God's problem is not a lack of ability. God's problem with us is a lack of availability. We sing the song all the time, little is much when God is in it. Uh, the problem is not that you're too small. The problem is you're too big. Uh, you need to be small in your own eyes to be used of God. You say, preacher, I can. I'm not enough. Well, then you're just the very person. And God has a plan for your life. Listen, God doesn't just save us to sit; He saves us to serve. And God has a plan for your life. You might be, you'd be shocked if you could look at things through the eyes of a pastor. You'd be shocked at the times that God burdens your heart with something, something you want to see accomplished, something you want to see done for the glory of God. And, and you'll think, How in the world am I ever going to find somebody that can do this? They got to have this skill set or that skill set, or they have to be able to. And you're thinking, "Way." And finally, you just you get spiritual because there ain't nothing else to do, and you pray because you know you are to pray the Lord of the Vineyard to send for. The heart, you know, labors into the field. So you pray, and God will bring somebody along that has the exact life experience needed to fill that role and capacity. Listen, I, I'm, I'm convinced. I'm convinced. If God commissioned our church to paint little blue hummingbirds on teacups to sell at the flea market, God would send us somebody with a sharp eye, a steady hand, and a love of teacups and hummingbirds. Amen. I'm just saying that God has a plan and a design. We look at it and we call it (laughs) dovetailing, but God calls it providence. God had a plan for Hoban if he would just go with him. I'm going to give you one final thought and I'm done. What I mean when I say that is I got one more and It's got about six sub points and each of those has. But look at verse number 32 and I want you to notice a word of exhortation. Now, what's exhortation? Exhortation is encouragement. It's a good Bible-strong word for encouragement, okay? If if, if the word encouragement is a nudge to the shoulder, then the word exhortation is is a kick to the seat of the pants, okay? And we see a word of exhortation in verse number 32. And it shall be, if thou go with us, yea, it shall be, that what goodness the Lord shall do unto us, the same will we do unto thee. I'd like for you to notice, first off, this is a promise, right? But it's a conditional promise. He begins by saying, if. If. Let me tell you something. The gospel is a conditional promise. It is predicated on this, that we must receive the Lord Jesus Christ. If we reject Him, we'll die without Christ. If we accept Him, we can be saved eternally. And at all hinges and turns... On that word, if. And it's you and I that turn that hinge. We make the decision. Hobab, if he chose to, could die in Midian and never be used of God. But if he chose to, he could leave that behind him. Turn and travel with this precious group, this Hobab group of God's people. And have a place and a function and a role and a home and an eternal destination in the presence of God. But it all hinged on that word if. See, here's the truth. If You're here lost without Christ today. You can leave here just as lost as you came in. Or you can leave here just as saved as any other person sitting in these pews. And it's your choice what you do. I can't make that choice. Listen, if I could, I would. I would. I've heard people say sometimes, well, that preacher, he's just preaching and trying to scare people, you know. If I thought that work, I'd do it, neighbor. I'd show up in a mask and Halloween, and I'd do it if I could. But I know that that'd be futile. People don't get saved because they're scared. Now, I was scared of dying and going to hell when I got saved. But that, that in and of itself and alone would not be enough. Here's what people need. They need to be convicted of the Holy Ghost, of the reality of their lost condition, And then they need to be presented with the truth of the gospel that they might cling and place their faith upon that truth and that reality. And it's all hinging on that word, if. It's all hinging on you this morning. We see this was a conditional promise. We notice the condition of it. Notice the comfort of this promise. Verse 32, what's going to happen if he does? If he turns and he goes, the Bible says, verse number 32, it shall be that what goodness the Lord shall do unto us. Now, I know he's going to include Hobad in that here in a moment, but can I just say this? That while the Christian life is filled with lots of bumps and difficulties and trials, that at the end of the day, all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. I promise you, if you trust in Christ, it will be the best decision you ever made. I'm not promising you you're going to be rich in, in the sense of worldly money. I'm not promising you that your health is always going to be great. I, I'm not saying that you're not going to have trials and difficulties and, and problems because that's just the reality of the human experience. But I am promising you this. If you'll trust in Christ, you'll be the better for it. You'll be the better for it. Every good gift and every perfect gift cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness neither shadow of turning. You know what that means? No variableness, neither shadow of turning. It means God don't wake up on the wrong side of the bed. That's what that means. It means God don't wake up and decide, well, I was good to Him yesterday, but I ain't going to be good to Him today. Now, sometimes God's goodness may look troublesome. It may be uncomfortable. It may be unpalatable. Job said that, you know, shall we receive good at the hand of the Lord and not evil? He said, "Uh, you know, uh, though he slay me, yet shall I praise Him? I recognize the Christian life is full of difficulties. But let me not hesitate even for a moment to say that my worst day as a Christian would far outweigh my best day as a lost person. And I would far rather be saved than to be lost. We see the comfort of this promise. And then notice, finally, there's some communion in this promise. Say, so, preacher, what do you mean? We'll look down at the end of verse number 33, or 32, excuse me, says this. What good the Lord, goodness the Lord shall do unto us, the same will we do. Thee. Now that's interesting. As you study through your Bible, Midianites held an interesting place. They were always an antagonist. Of the children of Israel. In fact, later on in the book of Numbers, there would be a, a fellow that would bring in a Midianitish woman, presumably uh, of some uh, sort of, of uh, intimacy or relationship with her, would bring her into the camp. And uh, one of Aaron's sons would take a spear and thrust both of them through and kill them to stay a plague that was upon the camp. And God smiled with favor upon that act and stayed the plague from the camp. In other words, I'm saying this. These were not a desirable group of people. There was nothing impressive about being a Midianite. But you know what he says? He says, Hobab, if you'll just come with us, you won't be a Midianite anymore. You'll be counted in our number. You'll be counted in our number. Preacher, God couldn't save me. I'm a liar. Yeah, that's why he wants to save you. Preacher, I'm an adulterer, I'm a fornicator, I I have lust in my heart or my mind, or I've made mistakes, or or I've pushed God off, or whatever it might be. Don't you understand that's what God wants to save you from? (laughs) John said it this way in the book of 1 John. He said, we're accepted in the Beloved. (laughs) Not we've attained unto the Beloved, Brother Charlie. Just that we're accepted in the Beloved. Aren't you glad God can change a man's life? Say that again, because if there's someone here that's lost this morning, I want them to hear you amen that, because I want them to know that you know that's true. Aren't you glad God can save a lost man and change his life? With our heads bowed, with our eyes closed.